How's it going, everyone? I'm Jeremy here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 67. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Gathering Magic and CoolStuffInc.com, that have provided us with gift certificates to give away every week. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more, a 25% buy list bonus, and their ever-popular reward, customer rewards program, CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week by a pretty formal Ed Wynn, uh, fresh off the boat, not really, though. Basically fresh off the plane. Uh, Ed, how was your weekend? Great. And that basically sums up Ed's life in one word. I've also got Jim Casali, the man with the beard here. Jim, how was your weekend? Great. And I'm joined by Travis, the ever-popular curmudgeon of the cast. Travis, how was your weekend? Greater. Greater. Okay. Well, uh that case, I'll pull a Trump and say I had the greatest weekend. Uh, just got done watching an eclipse, which uh, was, I guess, better than... Uh, it was a huge eclipse. It was like nothing else you guys have ever seen uh, in the great state of Missouri. So I highly recommend that we all get together for the one in New York in seven years when this cast is dead. Um, we got a lot to talk about this week. Um, Ed and I went to Gen Con. Ed went to Denver. Travis went clothes shopping. It was uh, it was a pretty good weekend. Um Travis, you actually had something that you wanted to start with as far as like MTG finance that our listeners can use right away and like how they may be able to make some money on uh, this new thing. Uh, well, I wouldn't necessarily frame it like that, but yeah, the um, one of the kind of topics that's been floating around on the underside of all of these reserve list items uh, is the fact that the San Diego Comic-Con promos came out. In past years, these have been ravenously popular. Um, usually the website is sold out in minutes. Um, I remember last year priming order tabs like an hour ahead of time to be ready to only have to click as few buttons as possible because the Hasbro server would crash when they went for sale. Uh, this year we are on like day five of them being available. And I believe at the moment they're still for sale. And if they're not today, they're not right now. They were up until very recently, which is a dramatic change from past years. So one thing a lot of people who don't have their ear close to the ground is wondering is like, why the heck are these still around? Every other year, I can't buy them. And suddenly they're here. It's, and I think it's funny because it's actually scaring people off. They're like, wait, this is too available. I feel like I shouldn't buy this because if I should buy it, it should already be gone. Um, and the question really that most people have, is it a product of them being too not as popular? Is it because there's too many? Is it because the price point starts too high? Um, and we basically can do nothing but guess. We have no information about how the pricing of these things affects people's behavior. We have no information about how much stock there is. Um, and we don't really have a good way to gauge the popularity other than asking our friends and seeing what they think relative to past years. I suspect that there, it is mostly a combination of them not being as popular. Um, and probably a slightly higher supply and you've kind of got fatigue on that product where people have seen it several years in a row now this one is more like uh alternate art um as opposed to a really distinct card frame remember the very first san diego comic con promos were like the full black which were really cool very different these are just planeswalkers with a different art similar to the zombie ones last year so i suspect that it's sort of like there's probably a little bit more they're a little less interesting um, and that's probably why we're still seeing them for sale. The question is, is it worth buying them? None of us did, right? And I, you guys didn't buy any, right? I bought one. You did buy one? 
Yeah, I bought one mostly for myself. Like, I didn't plan to sell it, but uh, I definitely bought one. I like the poster. I think it's a sweet piece to frame. So, well, that's and that's why I got it. And that's an interesting one. Is uh, someone on Twitter today was saying that the posters were now selling for sixty dollars. So if that's true, uh, it cost me a hundred ninety dollars. I checked to get one shipped to my house. The the whole the whole package. So if I can sell the poster for sixty. Uh, that knocks the price of the product down to 130, uh, which is a lot easier to stomach than the 190 it would cost normally. Some people might be wondering if that's worth it. Probably only if you really want the poster. If you only if if you really want them, but like you're looking to scrape a few bucks back, um, that's probably a good way to go. I would like a set personally eventually, but I'm gonna wait like six months and let them kind of float out onto eBay, where I think you'll probably be able to get. The whole set at like the one thirty range, one twenty maybe. Yeah, it's really weird. I actually just looked up like how much all of these cards individually cost on TCG Player, and I'm not quite sure I was ready for the numbers that I'm seeing. Like the the Jace is obviously the least expensive because it's been a San Diego San Diego Comic Con promo twice now. So getting that that one is basically just dead money. Like you're never gonna sell that for any reasonable amount. I think they're like fifteen dollars on TCG player. But the Nissa's thirty-four, the Liliana's forty-five, the Chandra's seventy-five, and the Nicobolas is seventy-five. Which if you're able to sell all of those for that amount of money, you're gonna make money if you sell the poster. I think Everyone hasn't gotten their copies yet, and that's why the prices are still so artificially high. I do think that the uh, the fact that this artwork is uh, maybe worth as much as one of the walkers, that might be something where you might want to uh, keep your eyes posted as far as uh, whether or not to pick up the set. But um, I don't know. I just really don't like this. I really don't like this product. Um, I took the money that I would have spent on this product and I actually invested it in something else, which I'll get to later in this cast because this is another good discussion topic. But I think what they're asking is like triple of what they used to ask. The artwork is not like a very, uh, of the Planeswalkers to clarify. It's not something that really speaks to me or any of the customers I've talked to. They've been pretty lukewarm about it. So I'm not seeing a lot of local demand for my casual players, and as such, I'm not I'm keeping both uh, away from buying for myself and away from buying um, for like to flip in a long term as like a financial spec. I just don't like this set that much. I mean, they're still available as of before we recorded this cast. There's just too many copies out there, man. Ed, do you have any words about this? I think it's one of those things, like, I think the biggest thing that has kind of deterred people um, is it's no longer novel. Like, I think the biggest thing was when they first came out, it was like, wow, like, you know, like, these, like, full Black Planeswalkers, like, the only thing you can see, like, you can see, like, the red and, like, Chandra's hair or, like, the fire coming out of her arms or, like, the blue from Jace casting a spell, like, and that was the only, like, actual color thing you could see on the card. Like, that was novel. That was new. Um, obviously, like, it was way more limited. Um all those together, I think, were, like, the real driving factors. And I think, like, each passing year, you're kind of starting to suffer from, like, um, like the like from the vault syndrome, basically. I think that's, like, the best way to describe it. Like, like what like what is there new this year? It's kind of like, you know, like, you know, the first, I think, like, two or three years, they did the, like, the full Black Planeswalkers. Like, okay, well, they're hard to read. You can't really see them. They're getting kind of old. And now they're trying to do, like, novel things. Like, last year was, like, the full zombie Planeswalkers. 
this year is like the hieroglyphic planeswalkers. It's just like there's nothing new and nothing novel anymore. Like people are kind of excited and then it just wears off kind of fast. And I think that's kind of what's keeping people. I see like there's obviously way more in print now. I'm sure the $180 is also a big deterrent for people. Um, and, you know, like I, I think it's going to get to that point where it's just like not really going to be something that is going to be the same moneymaker as it was in the past year for people. So uh, that being said, like the poster is pretty nice. That's definitely one of the cooler items. It's the same reason why like Garrick's axe still continues to have value. You know, people like the axe. It's like a cool prop. Uh, the poster is itself is printed on cardstock. Um, if you flip it over, it's actually it's like it's like literally an uncut sheet. It's a pretty nice poster. Um, I imagine like there will always be demand for that. People want to like frame it up, put it in the room or whatever. It's a cool poster, but like in terms of actual value of the set, I just don't see it being there. If you want one personally, you actually like want to put them in your cube or like actually enjoy them. Maybe sell some pieces you don't want. Like it's a reasonable prospect, but long term, you're not really gonna make money on this like you have been able to in the past sets. So that's a really good point. Um, so Ed and I were at Gen Con for a brief day uh, trying to choke down Harry and Izzy's cocktails, which led to some interesting moments. Uh, that stuff is quite putrid. And uh, it's still good, though. Um, on the floor of Gen Con, there were a lot of uh, dealers and vendors and just private individuals that had very cheap booster boxes. You were seeing things like uh, Return to Ravnica at $72. You were seeing... Um, uh, Gatecrash at $65. You were seeing uh, Concentric here at like $100. Actually, uh, listener of the cast at Noob Specs brought this up to me. Uh, he's a pretty big vintage player in Kansas City. And they basically had all these really cheap booster boxes that equaled out to like $2 to $2 and a quarter. Oh, Ed already has a picture apparently. Uh, just like super cheap booster boxes, like $65, $70. Would you guys even bother picking this up? We've talked about sealed product, but... Uh, at this price of like $65 for Return of Ravica block stuff minus Dragon's Maze and Theros at 70 is this stuff you guys would be interested in like to draft with your friends or is this just keep staying away no matter how good it looks if you don't have that retail out? I mean, I've been a proponent of not buying sealed product unless you plan to draft it. So much of it gets printed these days that Anything past like Avicen restored is just there's just too much of it. It's never going to become worth buying, holding on to it, and then selling it later for more money. Especially with the amount of reprints that they do these days, like the the box value isn't going to reach enough a high enough value where it's going to be worth reselling it before the cards get reprinted in a master set that are worth anything. And Travis is muted as usual. I don't so know what. I am on a hard do not buy sealed product. Just don't do it. Do not do it. And like to, to, yeah, to make it like to stay aside more eloquently, like there's just far too much printed. Um, like with Aether Revolt, we can literally order as much as we want. What do you mean more eloquently? Was I not eloquent enough for you? I said, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, but you weren't using words that had like three or four syllables. That, that's how you eloquently persuade them of your vivacious taste or something yeah like our um like it, it's it's somewhat public knowledge but like a few weeks ago our we had distributors offer us a Revolt at like 54 dollars a box um and we could order as much as we want mainly because the distributors had way too much they needed to clear it out i think this was a little bit before our devastation came out um like shell fireball they had a sale last week you could buy it 75 dollars shipped i think um, it's just too hard to move. The EV is just too bad. Stores aren't wanting to open up more products. So 
um, like all that together, it makes it really, really hard to kind of see like a long-term potential for, um, for seal products in general, like Kaladesh, like the EV is pretty low. Like none of the standard sets have super high EV mainly because of masterpieces and Kaladesh, I would say is one of the better ones. It has like a lot of casual cards. It has like probably like the most powerful cards in standard post rotation. It has like some super high end masterpieces like soul ring or whatever. And realistically, like there's just like no long-term prospect for Kaladesh. There's just so much of it out there. Um, you can still order, order direct wizards. All our distributors have plenty. Um, I, I just don't see how, you know, if you want to sit on it, like how long do you plan on staying it for? Like once you're out, um, how, like I, I, w- I would just stray away from it. Like you need faster turnover times and mainly because how clunky it is to store booster boxes. I just don't see any reason to store them in large quantities at this point going forward, basically. And it's yeah. been that way. since so basically returned to Ravnica. You know, it's interesting is sealed product definitely had a niche, uh, a long time ago, back when there wasn't really larger ticket items that sat and held their value for extended periods of time, right? You had like the power, but then you came down from power, they're like a couple legacy cards. Like we're talking like 10 years ago, there just wasn't as much in that, like more than 30, $40 card, less than a thousand. But, you know, masterpieces and modern have pushed so many cards sort of into that stratosphere that sealed product it doesn't do what you want it to do anymore. Like there are better ways to do what that was intended to do in the past. And you're seeing a bunch of people on some of these Facebook threads, just liquidating like hundreds of boxes. Um, I'm guessing people that have been speculating on boxes post Innistrad just haven't been seeing those returns. Like uh, Sigmund Osfresser, for example, had liquidated a bunch of return Ravnica boxes at uh, GP Vegas 2015 because he just wasn't seeing the profits. So a lot of these people that are sort of buying into the hype of certain content creators creating these like clickbait videos about sealed product, they're starting to feel boxed in and they're not seeing those rewards that they were expecting. Their wallets just aren't packed with value anymore. But we're not naming and, names. Yeah, we're not. We're not. Uh, I mean, we have uh, Urza's Destiny cough cough. So we were talking about the uh, SDCC promos. And I had mentioned that I decided to go a different route with the $190 that I would have spent or whatever. Uh, I was looking at the sick deals page today and the owner of one of the owners of Moose Loot was selling um, uh, transmute artifacts and um, power artifacts at $55 each. And they are currently around $100 for uh, near mint and like 85 to $90 for slight played. So I basically went out and I bought instead of $190 on uh, an SDCC set, I brought I bought a three transmute artifacts for 168 ship from him because it was three dollars for shipping and fifty-five each. And I feel like this this is something that we do need to talk about because the reserve list has gone absolutely crazy lately, and we are partially to or fully to blame for this because we do talk about how to make money on magic and the reserve list still has room to grow. Do you guys think that the reserve list now in this last couple of weeks is greater fools buying into all this hype. I mean, we're seeing things like Grim Monolith sell for $1,000 on TCG player. As a noted fan of the cast, Austin Toller says, Travis should bend the knee because one sold, whereas they had said to um, mention if any sold above $500 on Travis's other podcast. And we're seeing them sell for $900 to $1,300 for the Japanese foil versions, which is an obscene, obscene number that people are willing to pay. So how do you guys feel about this newest wave of reserveless prices? And would you put your money 
in the reserve list cards of stuff that hasn't spiked yet, or do you think that there's just better opportunities elsewhere? Honestly, if I'm not going to play with it, I really don't want to own it. There's too much opportunity cost to having cards in your inventory that you're not using uh, if you're just a player like myself. So I, yeah, I own reserve, reserve list cards, and I have bought reserve list cards ahead of needing them, but I've only purchased things that I ever have any intention of playing. So I don't own any foil Grimonoliths, and I don't plan to. I think it's just too high of a risk that at some point in the future it either gets banned like, they could just ban all the reserve list cards from Commander. That just could be a thing that they do one day. And the other thing that could happen is they could say, all right, well, we're going to get rid of the reserve list in five years or something like that, and immediately all the prices are going to tank. And I just don't want to be left holding any of those cards because it's, it's not worth it to me. If I'm not playing with it, if it's not actively being used, I'm not getting any value out of it, and I don't want to own them. Uh, so I, like, the reserve list is, like, one of those, like, it's, it's a pretty strange creature, right? Like, there's obviously been, like, thousands of words written about it over the years, ever since its, like, original creation back in 2007, 6, somewhere there. Like, well, like, ever since then, you know, like, people have gone back and forth about it. Like, it's, it's one of those things, like, people are very, very clearly divided over. There's, like, lots of, like, people who are, like, they advocate heavily. It's, like, we have to keep the reserve list, preserve the value of my collection, blah, blah, blah. Lots of people, you know, they want, like, hey, I need, like, duels for my Legacy deck. Like, there's no reason I should be paying at this point, like, you know, $450 for an Underground seat at this point, right? Which is what the market is trending towards. Um, it, it, the best way I can describe it is that I, like, both people, both people have valid arguments, right? Like, no one, no one is saying, like, you know, one side is clearly right, one side is clearly wrong. Um, but in light of, like, a lot of these reserveless buyouts, like, it's... I, I, I think you're like people are starting to see like a more. I'm trying to think of how to describe it best. Like a more, a hungry, a, no, a a more realistic, like model of what like actual supply and demand looks like. It's like supply and demand is one of those things like we joke about in magic, but for the most part, like supply and demand just doesn't apply to almost everything in magic, with exception of the reserve lists, right? Like mainly because if you look at like very early sets, like up until um was it like fourth edition or something you could actually see like the print runs on almost every single like on all those sets like we know exactly how many alpha rares are out there we know exactly how many unlimited commons are out there we know how many unlimited black lotuses exist how many alpha moxen exists etc right and for people to like move a market like you it's not it's not hard to actually figure out like i don't need very much money to actually shift a market by a tangible amount and the reserve list is really the only thing you can do nowadays if you're actually looking to move markets. It's just so hard because, you know, like sealed products, like standard product, even standard mythics, they're like, everything's just, nothing is rare nowadays. Um, in terms of like, is it sustainable long-term? Probably not, right? Like I, this weekend I saw MTG deals. They had three grim models in their case for 750, 900 and 1100. They're there all weekend and they didn't sell. And I'm willing to say that Charles is probably going to spend a good amount of time bringing those from show to show. And they're just not going to sell. Like his investment in them is probably very little. He probably didn't pay more than like hundred to two hundred dollars a piece on them. And if he does sell one, he probably covers his cost for all of them. But like, I just don't see the demand realistically being there, right? Like, it's people who want them probably already have them, and people who 
want them but haven't had them already probably can't afford them at this point. So you're kind of like in this weird catch-22 with the reserve lists, and I just don't see like if it how it's really sustainable long-term. That being said, I actually don't see them getting rid of the reserve lists, so I think we're going to continue to kind of see these trends of buyouts, price resets, and probably like just kind of like this weird, like super unstable market going forward, probably for the remainder of the year until, you know, there's just people just run out cards to buy out. Uh, so I think I agree with Ed on almost all of this. The first thing to point out is that if you, if we're talking about reserveless cards that we have because we want to own them and reserveless cards as a position to speculate on, um, those are very different. So I mostly agree with Jim. I'm not really interested in owning a lot of these things if I don't need them. Um, I think most of the reserveless cards I own are ones that are either in decks or sort of intended for decks, a couple duels here and there. So minimal, I would not be holding, um, for instance, multiple play sets of anything that I needed or I didn't really need from a, a position of making money on them. Like there will still be people that will make money on this stuff. People who make purchases and sales and it will turn a profit. Um, I think that it, you're basically, it's it's possible people will do it. It's just, it might be easy to get caught with your pants down. You might buy into something uh, thinking that it's on the way up only to find out that you actually bought it when it's at its peak um, and that you're going to have to wait another three or four years for it to move again, kind of for a lot more excitement to generate before you get rid of it. I think that's going to happen to a lot of people. And a lot of people buying today are probably those people who are trying to get in on what they see as an upswing or grab one last copy of something that they needed and they're like afraid that it's gonna end up a million dollars and they're just grabbing it now. But you know, at the end of the day, there's gotta be somebody out there who wants to buy your like Arabian Nights Aladdin's carpet and it sure hell isn't anyone that plans on casting that card. So you're basically left with like collectors and other speculators and a lot of collectors probably already have them. So, you know, just to repeat the sentiment I've had before is, People will make money out of the, on them. I think that there's room for it out there, but I also think that it's going to be difficult and it's going to be dangerous. Or I should say, it's not something you can expect to sell through quickly, which is which is what Ed was saying. Um, and you don't want to get stuck with a huge percentage of your capital in reserveless cards that are not going to move quickly at all. And to clarify, what I personally think we're seeing is the greater fool theory come into fruition, where all these MTG, where Reddit is basically like, you need to make you need to buy this card now because like every thread is reserveless or old school reserveless or old school and a lot of finance writers like full disclosure such as travis and myself years ago bought out cards on the reserve list and have talked about it on various social media platforms or articles and it feels like people are now catching up to this two to three years later because we started seeing a lot of this in 2015 2016 and we, we're getting this two years later where the next wave of greater fools is coming in. And I think this is a position where the people that got in two years ago or even as little as a year ago on specific cards are just cashing out and saying, you know, see ya. I, I don't know how many sushis Travis has left, but I know exactly how many memory jars I have left. And that's something where I'll just continue to sell to greater fools as they keep coming through. I sold the very first sushi out of that lot that I purchased uh, two or three days ago. So it's yeah. the very first one. I mean, as far as reserveless cards go, Memory Jar was a good one. Suchi was a good one for old school. And I keep selling Memory Jars and I keep selling. Yeah, Ed's got a foil metal worker right there. I remember Travis trying to sell me one and they were super cheap at Vegas. And now they're going up again. That's something to keep an eye on. 
Yeah. Um, I actually, I actually bought this for a metal worker. This was the tag I paid, and this was actually in a dealer showcase at Gen Con on Thursday. So, yeah, and you're yeah, seeing. I, I didn't see it. What was it? Uh, it's 180 dollars. Full metal worker, yeah. 180 dollars. Not bad. And I was targeting Judge Yogmoswell over in Europe. I bought a thousand dollars worth of Judge Yogmoswell in Europe as an arbitrage play. And at the same time, Ed found one for $90 at Gen Con and swooped that sucker. Oh, yeah, he's got it right in front of him. I'm already ready to go. And I mean, they're like selling for $140 already like two days later. And people are paying that number, which is obscene. Um, I think the EDH reserveless stuff is the stuff that truly will hold that price. Um, a lot of players had talked to me about buying foil Yavamaya Hollows or buying foil Palancrons or EDH or Cube because those cards are so hard to find in the first place. And certainly harder to find in the last week or two. So those are ones that the ship has sailed on where it will probably actually hold up because those cards don't move very well uh, out of EDH players' decks. They'd rather just build another one. But um, it's just interesting to keep in mind where we're going to start seeing the prices of some of these reserveless foils and non-foils go. I think the, the intersection between EDH cards and cube cards are the sweet spot for foils, especially reserveless foils. Like... Metalworker, Grim Monolith, Palancron, these are all cards that are played exclusively in cubes and in EDH decks. And those are the ones that are going to be the most expensive going forward. Those are ones that I have considered purchasing on many occasions in the past and am very mad at myself that I didn't buy them when they were cheaper. But I keep coming to this, well, it can't go up from here, so I'm just going to not buy it. And then it does go up, and then I feel bad about it. Uh, yeah. Any other things that you guys want to expand on on the reserve list before we move on? I, I think Jim like really hit that last point on the head. It's one of those things where the people who bought them probably have already owned those for a very, very, very long time, right? Like how many free floating like fo- like of these foils do you really see nowadays, right? It's they're just they're just so unbelievably rare. Um, I mean, seeing even just like old like. Uh, old frame foils is just super rare nowadays, right? Like it, like your average Grand Prix or your market, like how many, you know, like foil polluted deltas from Onslaught do you see? You just almost never see those anymore. Um, and it really goes to show like how much time has passed since these have existed and how rare they were to begin with and how many people nowadays play Magic compared to how many people were playing Magic then, right? And that's not counting like the natural like attrition of cards like cards that just disappear and never come back. Um, like I'm honestly curious, like where this foil metal worker came from. Like the show, uh, the the store that I bought this from, I've never heard of them before. I can only assume that they they don't vend grand prix. Uh, a lot of stores kind of fall in the category of like Gen Con stores. Like they spend all their money at Gen Con once a year. That's like their big show. They dump all their like capital into it, and that's really all they do. So I can only assume that this. No, no offense to the store. I again, I don't honestly don't remember who they were, but I can only assume that they're in the middle of nowhere. They must not turn over a lot of cards, and they probably just found this in a box of stuff that they've bought, and it's been sitting there for who knows how long. Um, but again, it really goes to show, like you know, how many of these do you see on average at Grand Prix? These things like generally aren't out. People don't have them. People who have them don't really want to sell them. Um, and if you're someone like in gym seat, like hey, like it would be sweet to own like a foil Cami Rector. Right, you're just not gonna find one unless you're willing to pay through a nose for it from people who like know what they are and are trying to like sell them for some obnoxious amount. And it's, the problem is only going to get worse as time goes on. And I like, and that's just the nature of a reserve list, unfortunately. Could be, could be stolen. And I'll play, I'll play the devil's advocate here. 
before we move on, how do you guys feel the fact that Magic is an unregulated market influencing this reserveless buyout? Because we have people that are complaining on Twitter, oh no, prices are getting too high, like the reserveless needs to go, finance people are evil. Do you think that we would see these price spikes in a regulated market or do you think that it's the evil speculators such as us that are destroying magic finance or whatever or destroying people being able to pay $200 instead of now $500 for whatever foil destiny card? Definitely sounds like you're fishing for an answer here. I mean, pretty much that's what most of Twitter has been convinced of lately. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just use some anecdotal evidence from my personal collection here. Uh, I purchased a foil Gaia's Cradle like five years ago for like two hundred ish, maybe two hundred fifty dollars. The number is like marginal, but compared to what it is now. But there's nothing that's happened in the last five years that is malicious. That is the reason why it'd be more than double what I paid for it at the time. It's just the time factor, and it's just the fact that it's been so long, and everyone knows that they will never reprint it. There are cards that go down in price all the time because people think they will get reprinted. Like, right before we had the last Modern Master set come out, Snapcaster Mage was at its all-time low since it had been rotated out of standard. That's entirely because people thought it was going to get reprinted, and because people know that Reservist cards can never be reprinted, people will never think they'll be worth less than they are today. And that's going to be a problem going forward for everyone. It doesn't matter who buys them. That's just going to be the, the realistic... That, that's just going to be the reality of the situation. There will never be more of them existing today than existed yesterday. In fact, there will probably be less because some of them just get lost. Some of them get damaged. Some of them get destroyed. Some of them go into a garbage can and they're never found again. That's just the nature of the beast. And that's just going to be what's going to happen going forward because of the reserve list. It doesn't matter if... MTG finance people are buying them or speculators are buying them. This, this was going to happen to them anyway. Maybe it looks worse because it happens faster, but like I looked at the price graph for Gaius Creel and it just is a constant upward, you know, slant. It's it's not changing because there's just not any more of them that you used to be. Well, Gaius Cradle is a tricky one, especially simply because it's so... Um, Ubiquitous. It is, the, it is the well. It is the perfect storm, right? You yep. have like a card that is absurdly one of the, like the most strongest cards in Legacy, and probably the strongest card in EDH, and only exists in foil right there. Like there was never a second printing. Like it is just you can't build a better case for a card going nuts. Right, but there's still the issue that like you can play this as a four of in your Legacy deck, and a lot of people do in like Elves, for example. And it's probably, I'd, I'd argue it's more popular than Metal Worker, despite being less expensive. Like, Metal Worker was going to get there eventually. Did it go a little bit faster? Maybe, probably. I mean, Grimlana is, is also another one of those same, like, era of cards where, like, it was eventually going to get that expensive. Did it go a little bit faster than it would have normally? Probably, but there's no way that it wasn't going to get to that amount of money eventually unless the reserve list gets removed. And I think something that Ed had touched on a couple casts ago as far as the duels went up and now everything else is going up, that that third wave of cards going up that we saw right after uh, SCG Richmond a couple years ago with Modern and then duels shooting up and then power shooting up, we're seeing this wave again where people can trade duels into a Lotus or into these high-end foils and vendors are raising their prices accordingly. 
that's just my opinion, of course. But I Ed had mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and it's just something to keep an eye on. And speaking of this sort of third wave of stuff expanding, Jim, we have a pretty relevant uh, viewer winner this week, or quite question winner this week, if you want to get into that. Sure. Uh, thank you, Blake Miller, for having a name that I can say without butchering. Uh, you asked us if I'm a new investor in MTG and I have a bankroll of, say, $5,000, what are the best places to put my funds? Better to be active in quick, flip, quick flipping or slow gainers, reservers, cards, etc.? Or should I just get a lotus and cross my fingers? Thanks and lo uh, love to the love the cast. Oops, I misread that. Um, I'm probably not the person that should answer this question first, since I don't have a bankroll of five thousand dollars that I plan to invest in magic at any point in time. Um, but if I had to guess what the other people on the cast would say they would probably say to buy masterpieces because those are like modern day reserve list cards and um, probably some reserve list cards that haven't spiked yet. But those are, that's just my prediction. Ed, you're next. God damn it. Um, you've been next every time. Why, why am I next every time? Sometimes I just have to answer first. Sometimes people just dump the question it on is, my lap. It's been like, Jim, you, me, for the last 34 minutes. I'm too tired to like pay attention to what <laughs> questions get answered. In. So, okay. So, let's say you have $5,000, right? Like, I don't have $5,000 to pull out. But, um, bullshit. quick bullshit. jump them. Call bullshit on that one. Yeah. <laughs> let's jump them real fast. <laughs> right. But, like, like, what are you trying to do? I Like, it's a question of, are you trying to fund your hobby? Right? Like, a lot, you know, like, you can, you can kind of look to, like, Jim or, like, Travis for that, right? Like, do you want to fund your hobby? Do you want, basically, free roll standard, modern legacy, just have a way to kind of build decks? Or are you trying to like, you know, start like a store, a company, whatever with $5,000, right? It's a matter of what you're doing. Um, it's also a matter of how much free time you have to put in, right? Like, do you want to like literally maximize and minimize your profits? Like as like in every way possible, right? Like do you have infinite time to do this? Do you have very little time to do this? There's just a lot of things that's, uh, that is very hard to say, right? Like the, what, what's the easy answer? Like buy, you know, a very nice lowest for $5,000 and trade it down, right? Like if you want to, you know, if you want to like earn as much as possible and get the maximum possible returns, come to my store and buy that amount of bulk I, and like sort through it. I don't know what's in there. We pay pennies on a dollar. I don't want to fucking deal with it, right? If you, if you want to come, you know, spend $5,000 here, right? There's, there's just the full range. It just depends on what you want to do. Uh, realistically for me, like I'm lazy. I don't have time to go through that amount of bulk. I'll spend like a reasonable amount of money on cards. Like I like masterpieces. I'm like, this is something I say every cast Jim kind of hit on the head. Um, they're basically modern day reserve list cards. Uh, like it's, it's a mix of, you know, you're not, you're not trying to turn like, you know, like pulling, you know, nickels, dimes and quarters out of the bulk, but you don't have to like put all your like bankroll into one card. Uh, you make a decent margin on them, and it's relatively low risk. Well, we know that Ed is truly tired because he finally cursed on the cast. Travis, what, what were you saying? Uh, so once again, Ed hit the nail hit the nail on the head. Uh, the question is like, what what position you're in, right? Are you somebody who's got a lot of money? You've got seventy grand in the stock market. You've got five more. You're like, oh, I'm gonna throw it in the magic. It's kind of fun. A fresh Lotus is probably very secure. Uh, 
alternatively, if you're like, man, I've got five grand kind of free that I want to work with uh, and really try and grind it into something valuable and I have all the time in the world because I'm unemployed, uh, then Ed's Bulk is a good idea. If you're in my position where like you can kind of toss that much money around, but it's not, you don't have an infinite number of hours to spend on this crap, uh, which by the way, if you do, it's not, it's just worth putting your five grand in the bank and getting a part-time job or a, you know, job doing whatever. Um, if you got, if you work a full-time job and you've got the five grand reserveless cards or not reserveless cards, masterpieces are very good choices. Of course. Um, other than that, you're going to have to put in some work for basically listening and reading what people like myself or all these guys have to say and trying to take what we have to say and the other information you find and making smart buys and hanging on to it. Sometimes that's going to mean scooping up glory bringers for 350 in August because you think they're going to be $10 in October. Sometimes it's going to mean sniping $180 foil metal workers out of vendor cases because you know you might be able to get 270 for it on lane later. It might mean buying a couple $50 expeditions and waiting six months for them to double. I mean, those are the types of stuff you're looking for. There's no like one perfect thing. It's basically rather than looking for a class of card, I would say your best bet is to keep your eye open for the best EV where the EV is like time to return. Um, and that's essentially what I chase is where can I get the most money for my time? And it's not grinding bulk and it's not sitting on gr graded power and waiting. It's somewhere in between. And I'm gonna go with the third option, which is reality here. The majority of our listeners that I've interacted with are college students or in high school or just starting out as a young professional. If you've got $5,000 in the bank invested and don't be a dumbass, like, there's no reason like you should have an emergency fund. You should have, you should be maxing your 401k, all these options before you even think about getting an MTG finance. Cause the amount of money that you're putting in versus what you're making is probably not going to be worth it unless you have a storefront. Um, I've only met like two listeners of this cast that like play vintage full time, have successful jobs and like have all their stuff down. A lot of people are looking for an easy way out and the easiest way out sometimes is just simply to put that money into real life things rather than playing with the pieces of cardboard. Like you, so many people are looking for that 2013 era where everything went up no matter what it was because magic was growing at such an insane rate. And that's just not there anymore. And one of the realities of that is if you, you know, $5,000 is a lot of money to some people and you can get a pretty good you can get a pretty good uh pretty good return on that if you throw that in a mutual fund or something. Five thousand so, dollars is a lot of money to everyone who doesn't come from your class. Ouch! And um, basically, what you can do is you can throw that in the bank, and in ten years, you'll be fine. Like that five thousand dollars will be fifteen thousand dollars in the in the stock market or something like that. Especially with these last couple of years. And it's it's the real life thing to do is to sort of stop thinking about this kid's card game and uh, step into the real world. But if you're listening to this and you have all your bases covered and you've got $5,000, I think a Black Lotus is a pretty good investment right now. I've been talking about this for a while, but they continue to dry up. And uh, whether it's a bubble or whether it's just actual demand, prices continue to go higher. And uh, just like Travis, you can get a slight play near Mint Lotus for 4500 5000 Slight play probably because I think Star City's near Mint Bios is like four or five. Ed would probably know that. But it, it's just, yeah, it's 4.5. Thanks, thanks, Ed. 
Um, just get a Lotus and trade it down, go to a Grand Prix, trade it down at like 30 or 40% and you paid for your trip and you got to trade all weekend. But if you're not in that successful position, then you should invest it or set up an emergency fund or redo your roof or something like that. Cause all those things matter more than magic. It's just pieces of cardboard in the end. And no matter how many people I talk to about MTG finance, they don't understand that it's just pieces of cardboard. And you can get over your head. There's people that don't understand uh, cash flow is like one of the biggest problems in this industry is people will buy a bunch of specs and then they'll realize that they order too many packets from Hariuya and they'll they'll quickly try to liquidate them all at either a loss or just like not worth it at all. And they might even lose money because the market shifted as Travis said. So you have to be prepared that you're quite literally just gambling with these $5,000 unless you're buying bulk. And even then, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to move it. So if you want bulk commons, go to Ed's place. And if you want bulk rares, I got a whole stack behind me. So uh, yeah, it's just interesting, you know. 5,000 is a lot more than what a lot of our listeners value their collection at. And one of the one of the easiest ways to grow your collection is by trading and not necessarily throwing more cash in if trading is something in your area. And sorry for ranting so long about that. Uh, it's a really good question, but there's a lot of things in life that are more valuable than pieces of cardboard. And you should always remember that instead of getting too obsessed in it if it's not your job like Ed. I thought this was a MTG finance podcast, not an MTG lifestyles podcast. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, we're yeah. On money draft, give us flag, but like you, like on a long enough timeline, they uh, approach each other. <laughs> That's true. Travis's internet out. This is perfect. Uh, like one of the things that uh, one of the things that Ed said to me, or like other people have said to me, is like the highs can be super high, but the lows can be super low, and that's something that you have to be prepared for when you're investing. Ed also, Ed also flips coins for thousands of dollars. Allegedly. So. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> very, very important <laughs> to say. Yeah, you need to put in that allegedly, or you're going to be spending that $5,000 of Monopoly money on lawyer fees, Jim. All right. Uh, let's thank you for the question. How can he earn his store credit, and how can people win their credit for next week? Uh, so we're just going to do the same thing every week uh, when our cast goes up on Tuesday on gatheringmagic.com. Just please leave a comment in the article that our cast is posted on. And then if you're a winner, you can uh, send a message to me on Twitter or on Facebook or on the Cartel Aristocrats Twitter account. I don't know, just like, or email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com. Just contact me in some sort of way and I will get you the code. Great. And is there any other topics that you guys want to touch on that we haven't covered yet? I want to talk about Commander. All right, let's get into it. Commander's coming out this week. I'm pretty hyped. I don't know about the rest of you. Um, what do you think is the most expensive deck right now to pre-order? Cats. I mean... I, I know you know that's wrong. I would... Cats. Probably guess wizards or dragons, but uh, that would be a guess knowing full well I was less than 50% to get it right. Even though I picked two out of the four, I'd know I was less than 50%. <laughs> that's that's impressive. It's uh, dragons, vampires, wizards, cats. Yep. So the dragon deck, despite having some of the least interesting reprints out of all of the decks has, I think, the most popular new commanders. 
and as such is being is the most expensive. Um, I don't know if a lot of people have been watching or reading or a lot of the other reviews of the other um, content creators. I know that uh, Tolarian Community College did a video about the Commander decks and their viability and whatnot, and said that the Dragon was the worst, but clearly the uh, silent majority believes that the Dragon deck is the most uh, likable or the most desirable out of all of the decks. Uh, if you go on TCG Player, you can see that the best-selling uh, product after the entire set of decks is just the Dragon deck. So, and 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 on every retail store, basically right now, it's significantly more expensive than most of the other ones. So, I think it's an important thing to realize if you see um, people busting these and not playing with all the commanders for some reason, or you see them in like your local Target or Walmart or whatever probably worth buying them in MSRP since they're not really available anywhere for that that low. Well, you know, that raises a very interesting point is you comment that they are, the dragon one seems to be the least interesting deck on all fronts, but it's the most expensive. So does that mean, and I kind of have wondered this, but I haven't really put such a succinct point on it, that the commanders more than anything else drives the sales of a commander product. Could you print a commander product one year that's, essentially garbage except for three awesome commanders or and then also print three terrible commanders with just 97 good cards and then have the one with a good commander sell better it does seem like there might be a lot more drive coming in the demand from the commanders themselves rather than every other card on the list so the commander decks the commanders themselves are usually the most important because those are the things that you can base your new decks upon. Like, if you buy this dragon deck, you get an Orator of Ojitai, and you're probably not going to play it if you play a five-color dragon deck outside of this precon. But there's no other way to get the Ur-Dragon as your commander, so you have to buy this deck to get it. And the decks are, like, reasonable. Like, the, 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 the Draconic Domination deck is looks very... Uh, unappealing because the mana is so bad, but a lot of people already own the things that they need to fix that. So I really don't think it's nearly as bad as as some people would like to believe it is. And it includes a lot of cards that you were just putting in that kind of in that style of deck anyway. It has all the fate reforged rare dragons, it has crux of fate, it has some rare dual lands. And then it has the most synergistic cards that could go like the most synergistic new cards that can go with it. Like not all of the decks have Herald Torn in it, and this is the one that one of the ones that does. Um, but card? Herald's Horn, uh, it's a three mana artifact. This is choose a creature type when it enters the battlefield. Creatures of the chosen type cost one less in the beginning of your upkeep. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a creature of the chosen type, reveal it and put it in your hand. It's like an Ursa's Incubator with like this weird kinship thing that lets you draw extra cards. Yeah, so uh, that one is only in. The cat deck and the dragon deck. It's not in the vampire deck, and it's not in the uh, wizard deck. And that's also a kind of card that is pretty expensive, given that it's in more than one deck. And it's an artifact, so it can be played in a lot of other decks. Like, if you're playing an elf deck, and you want to have another cost reducer or another way to draw cards, this is another one of those things that you could be playing. So it has more tribal applications out of just outside of just the dragon deck itself. 
So I think that a lot of people give it like some kind of like I think people look down upon it because financially it doesn't look very good. Like the most expensive card in the deck that's a reprint is Utvar Hellkite, which is like four dollars, and Lightning Greaves, which is like four dollars, and then everything else is just kind of like a dollar or less for most of the cards. For the reprints, but, yeah, for the Dragon reprints. Speaker Shaman is in there, right? Uh, it is. Oh, that was three, three bucks. Sorry, I missed that one. But anyway, that was like seven, eight dollars. It was, but it isn't anymore, right? Like it's gone yeah, down. Yeah, that's a bit. that's a good reprint, is what I'm saying. Sorry, yeah, I'm not saying that there aren't good reprints, but there's like not very exciting ones. That that's kind of true throughout most of the commander decks. Um, I think like probably the most exciting reprint is uh, Marari's Wake. Marari's Wake, and then um, what is the artifact? Door of Destinies. Door of Destinies cool. is probably the most likable and the most well. Like the most flexible, I guess, reprint out of all of it. You know, it's possible that you're really, um, and you, we are, have a, a real bias towards this stuff because, like, yeah, those reprints aren't interesting to us because we, like, mostly own them and would just have them if we didn't. But the people who want to play dragons, like, those are exciting reprints because now they don't have to pay $7 for those cards. They just come in the box. We're more interested in like, oh, look, Marisal's a really unique commander. She does things we haven't really seen before. It makes all these other cards that I've never played cool, and she does something novel. So we, as in, as established players, are very interested in novel effects and experiences where a lot of players are might be less interested in that and are more interested in just sort of like good commanders from a tribe that we're bored of type of thing, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I definitely agree. And I think that this is also just like, this is the most exciting deck that you could possibly have. Like the color combinations for five color dragons is just not a thing that a lot of people had on their mind. Like there's a lot of red green dragon decks or red black dragon decks or maybe a Jun dragon deck, but like all five colors is, is, is a pretty rare combination. Um, most players, most especially unexperienced players are not particularly good at figuring out how many lands they should play of each color to make their five color deck work. So I think that this one also has some appeal because it's, Oh, it's all five colors. I get to play all of the, all of the spells, all my favorite stuff. Like there's no restrictions, so to speak. Um, but I, I just think it's an important thing to point out. A lot of players and a lot of uh, speculators have looked down upon that deck specifically because it didn't have anything very exciting in it. Like the new cards aren't terribly exciting outside of the commanders the uh, reprint cards are like it's it's basically like mono cons block reprints like and and Udvara Halkite and that's like it. So I think it's important for people to realize that even though it doesn't look quite as good, you know, a lot of these cards might start moving because the seal product is so expensive. Like the commander decks for th this specific deck from Star City or Cool Stuff or Channel Fireball is fifty dollars. You can't get them for MSRP. I think um, because of how casually, like casual is my bread and butter. I know Ed does everything. I know Travis is more focused on like high end stuff normally or quick flips, but casual is like the, the thing that I'm good at. It's like where Doug and I get along where we both know exactly what's moving. And the fact that at one of the places I work with, we sold out like a week beforehand of all of our decks is insane. And it, it just shows that this product is just free money if you can get it for the right price. Like, not even <laughs> trying to flip it, just like 
sit on it for a year. Like this, this, this is going to be the freest money ever. Like all the stuff that people realize should go in this deck is going to go up again, just like last year. You're going to have stuff like Chromatic Lantern go up again if it's not reprinted in Iconic Masters, which we're inevitably going to lose some equity on, but make it back on selling their reprinted cards. And it's like everything that you want out of uh, these sets is to get people focused on these tribal cards so you can upsell them on stuff that uh, will make you more money in the long run. So it's just something to keep an eye on. I'm, I'm super happy with where sales are going to be at for the month of uh, August. Anything to add, Ed? No, I think Commander is kind of like I, I like obviously on the cast we made no secret like Commander is like one of the real money makers out there. Um, you know, I like I still have some like Commander like Seal Commander product from the past few years that's sitting in the store, and I don't I'm not actively looking to sell it, but it's one of those things where like the price just continues to like creep up mainly because you know like a lot of people still like the sealed decks intact. Um, it's very, very easy to sell like the full set of five in the box, mainly because lots of people like to just sleeve them up as is and then just jam them against each other. Like they're not optimally built, but it's, they're reasonably balanced. And again, people just like to enjoy jamming them against what against each other as is. You don't have to deal with like, oh, like I start spending money on my deck. My deck is more powerful than yours. Um, so like like this year is really gonna be no different. Um, there's like it's they've definitely found a way to keep Commander kind of sweet. It's like pretty novel. Uh, it's very, very easy to sell your commander base, right? Like with competitive players, like you have the ups and downs of, oh, like, you know, standard sucks right now. Modern sucks right now. Legacy sucks right now. Like limited sucks right now. Like you have all these complaints, whereas commander players. How dare like, you? How dare you say legacy sucks right now? <laughs> I will fly to New York right now, <laughs> mister. Um, right, but whereas commander players, like commander players are like the perfect magic consumer, right? They love the game. They enjoy playing you can always sell them on cards. You will always be able to sell them on product. And the fact that they can do that, it's just a great source of income. And like, I, again, Commander 17, it's not really going to be any different. Like, just like bust them for singles. If that's what it comes to, I'm sure there'll be cards. Like, there's probably no Atraxa again. I think it'll be a little while before we see like an Atraxa level deck. But there'll be, definitely be cards. There'll definitely be decks that kind of come out from this. And, and I'm sure in a few weeks time, we'll be talking like, you know, like these cards spiked because of, you know, one of these four decks that got super popular. Um, so th th that's all I have to say. It's free money. Keep keep doing commander things. And let's, of course, get into the final part where we make our listeners free money with uh, pick of the week. Ed, as usual, we're going to put you on the spot first since you are uh, a little tired right now. I'm pretty sure you cut Jim off from talking about Commander, you know, since Commander is like his jam. Um, no, 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 it's okay. He's fine. <laughs> I, I have infinite words for Commander. I could like have an entire podcast where we just talk about Commander, but I don't because uh, the rest of you don't like it that much. Yeah. Uh, Ed, pick of the week. You're on the spot again. So I, I've actually come better at preparing about this. So originally my, my pick of the week was going to be Invocation Aggravate Assault. Except somewhere already beat me to it, and there's just no aggravated salts left online. So whoever did that, good work. Um, so, wait, wait, wait. I'm curious why? Because I I grabbed like two or three, but why? Why aggravated assault of any of them? Dragon deck ready. It's an infinite combo with Savage Vent Law. I mean, there are a lot of those though. Uh, I mean, it, it's a reasonably costed card, and it's an ex. It, it is a masterpiece. So, like, there's just not a lot of them. The only printing is an onslaught, so they're just don't exist outside of that. 
and it's one of those cards like it, it it's a it's a checklist of it's ubiquitous right like you want cards that see play in lots of red decks and it's it definitely falls in that category aggravated assault sees playing play in red decks just the doubling your combat effect is just very very powerful in commander um the fact that's a masterpiece it's a pretty sweet card it was very very cheap to buy in there weren't a lot of them just kind of made it like a prime target for um a buyout so not that i'm suggesting that you should buy out my pick of the week but it is a masterpiece scripted command it kind of falls in the same boat it's a uh competitive card um it's not it's not like at its best more mainly because blue has just never been kind of like the best deck but there's no like just guy control fairies like these decks like still exist um, it's reasonably played in Commander. It's if you look at EDH rec, it's like it's slightly behind Counterspell in terms of how much it sees playing blue decks. Uh, it's not terribly expensive. Cryptic Command hasn't like ever been super expensive since it's seen like multiple reprints across sets. But the masterpiece is like a slightly different animal. Um, everyone knows how I feel about them. These so. fucking finance people buying out my invocation counterspell. You know, I'm tired of people on Cartel just naming a card and then it spikes by three times as much and we blame it on Reddit for it. I will straight up say now that I was not responsible for Counterspell, I was not responsible for Aggro Assault, and I will not be responsible for the Red Thread being, like, inevitably seen in a few days when Cryptic Command gets bought out. But what about Consecrated Sing? So you take responsibility for that one? Brainstorm Brewery called that one ahead of time and then it spiked the next day. Uh, that that was the joke. Thank you. Which card? Thank you. Uh, Consecrated things, masterpieces. Oh, did that go too? Yeah, Jason. It's been gone for a while. Yeah, Jason called it and it doubled and then it just disappeared. I took a real beating on those by paying like twenties. Feels bad, man. Travis, what is your pick of the week? Well, uh, I'm going to feed into the ridiculous hype, um, and I went scrolling through the reserve list recently and cards of that nature to see if anything jumped out at me and found a card that uh, most people probably don't know exists. It's from Urza's Legacy. It is three mana, and it is a time walk. Um, you mean three, three mana? mana? Three manas. Uh, it is second chance. Um, three mana enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have five or less life, you sacrifice the enchantment, and you take an extra turn. So obviously, there are some catches here. Uh, you don't get the extra turn when you cast it. And you have to hold yourself at five life in order to get it, which uh, both of those can be a little tricky sometimes. But it is a time walk for three mana that it is recurrable because it does not exile itself from the graveyard. So if you manage to get this going with the star field of Nyx, you take over the game. Um, but even beyond that, it's a three mana time walk that you can abuse. So what's most interesting about them is they're like a dollar or less right now. Uh, they're very cheap. I don't know when this is going to move. I don't know if it's ever going to move. It could sit there forever. I don't know. But I do know that it is a dirt cheap reserve list card that actually has an impact, can have an impact. It does something useful. It's better than Jandor saddlebags. So if you want to ride the reserve list train, I think this is one of your higher potential targets, but not necessarily one of your better ones. I want to be clear on that. I don't like this one at all. But yeah, I, I respect your opinion. Again, it's it's so cheap that it's like, boy, the EV here, like the risk is is pretty high, but the reward is also really high. Yeah, Jim. So I've been doing a lot of uh, coverage for in my articles recently about commander stuff. So 
Uh, I'm going to pick a commander card. I'm sorry if you've read about it already, but I can't keep harping on it enough. Uh, the vampire deck does not have a lot of lords in it. There are just not a lot of lords for vampires in general. They're not a very cohesive tribe, so to speak. But there is one that is very important to them that is not included, which is Vampire Nocturnus. It is three printings, one of the, or sorry, four, I guess, technically. Uh, one of them is like a Xbox promo. One of them looks to be a pre-release promo. And then it was printed in M10 and M13. So there just are just not a whole lot of them. Uh, I have a feeling that people that buy the Vampire deck are going to want to put this card in pretty much immediately because it gives all your vampires flying which is particularly good when, you know, one of the people at the table has a bunch of dragons that also fly. Um, and we're getting vampires again in Ixlan. So even if this card does not go up in the next month or so, uh, there's a possibility there's a resurgence in people wanting to play vampires when Ixlan comes out. We've already seen that there are new white vampires uh, in that set. So I am cautiously optimistic that the current price point of about 450 is probably too low for a M13 slash M10 mythic rare. Um, it's been printed probably about as many times as most of the Titans, actually probably less times than most of the Titans at this point. And those are significantly more money than these. Interesting. You, Jeremy. Yeah, no, no, I was processing that, but thank you. Um, I'm going to go with donate as the typical reserve list, blah, 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 bullshit, make your money card. Um, this card actually sees play and like Zedra and other things on like Travis's pick, and it'll probably just keep going up for the foreseeable future. Uh, so that's like my reserve list card pick of the week or whatever, but there's a card I'm way more interested right now in right now. Uh, it's it's seeing a lot of play locally, and the price just does not want to stay down at all. Um, I feel like I've called this before, but Birthing Pod is now like a seven to eight dollar card from like three dollars after a couple of years, and that's something that you really want to watch out for because if this doesn't get hit in Iconic Masters, it's easily ten ten dollars. This is a card that sees a ton of play in Commander and Cube, and it'll never get unbanned in Modern, but it just keeps going up. Phyrexian mana spells are very difficult to reprint. I would imagine that this card may never get reprinted outside of a commander deck. Yeah, so uh, if uh, this dodges a reprint in commander and you want your profits to be as big as my forehead, this is a card that I would probably target for the foreseeable future. Oh, I just noticed that your forehead actually like starts somewhere because you have hair right now. What's going on? <laughs> Ouch. Where can people find you guys? My name is Jim Kasai. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me writing every week on the insider side of Quiet Speculation and every other week at GatheringMagic.com. Uh, Go ahead, Edwin. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm Edwin. I'm on Twitter, Edwin13. Uh, quick shout out to Brian and David, who I bumped into at uh, Grand Prix Denver this weekend. Thank you for coming by and giving the feedback. As it turns out, I am at least one person's favorite cast member. I don't know how many of you guys fake get to news. Say that. Fake I don't know how many news. of you guys get to say that. Um, Did that guy have a beard? No. That's why he's, I wasn't his favorite. <laughs> um, so shout out to them. Thank you guys. I always appreciate the feedback. Um, that's definitely one of like, the upsides of going to all the Grand Prix. You get to meet people who actually 
who actually listen to what you have to say, oddly enough, because I know people around here don't listen to what I have to say. Upside, uh, Ed. Yeah, uh, maybe upside. I don't know. Uh, I will see you guys in Mets this weekend. Uh, Washington, D.C. I'll probably be there on Friday. And then Hascon. For Are you going for the events. Juggalo March? Is that this? Is that when is that? Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Uh, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter, Wizard Bumpin, B U M P I N. I write every Monday over at MTG Price. I do MTG Fast Finance. And if you like playing magic, check out Scry.land. Uh, right. Sorry, I have like two more podcasts after this tonight. I know, I know. Mr. Popular doing more things than Ed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you can find me at Missouri MTG. We have a charity tournament coming up for a local that has five figures of medical debt. Um, there is over $2,000 of door prizes that we are giving away for free, as well as $3,000 in uh, prizes for this tournament. It is legacy. It is a $30 entry fee. We are capped at 80 people. and We are over halfway there after announcing the event like a week or two ago. So if you want to come out to the middle of Missouri and talk finance, listen to the cast on the way up there and play a little bit of the best format ever created. I'll be there digging through bulk nonetheless, but I'll be there. Um, but other than that, thanks for listening to the cast guys. I hope we have provided you with valuable information on which cards to buy out on the reserve. I mean, just valuable information on making your cards cheaper. Uh, but as always, we thank you. That's the end of cartel aristocrats number 67. You can find us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance, cool stuff, Inc.com, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And as always have a good week. Bye.